You're listening to Halford and Bruff. And this ball lined to right, and it's down, and it's past Hayward all the way to the wall. Biggio home. Chapman home. It seems like these guys are, are tested mentally every night. It seems like games are close, games are tight. And this one is hit out to second. Merrifield's got it, and the Blue Jays are going to win this game. Hey, what's going on? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. I'm with Israel Fair here once again. Filling in for the guys for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. Open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit johnstones.com. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you. In Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can get an early jump on uh, sending us in your What We Learned submissions coming up in the final hour of the show. Hashtag WWL. What you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. What's going on, Izzy? Another morning, Jamie. Another morning. <laughs> We're Another still one here. Down. We're still here. Another one down. Yes, I made a, a a little calendar with my daughter yesterday, showing the four weeks I'm doing the morning show, so I can like <laughs> X out the days one by one as I've done it. So got to go home and cross out another Why one. Why is Daddy so cranky yes. this month? <laughs> yes, exactly. Explaining Crankier. that concept. Crankier. Explaining <laughs> that concept to her. Uh, we're here for the next couple of weeks. A dog and Laddie, they're here. Um, don't worry. So there's some familiarity happening here uh, right now. So we got a big show coming up today. Uh, Nick Shook of NFL.com is going to join us at seven o'clock. Um, we had had Nick on anyways, but then uh, Saquon Barkley signs uh, a one year deal with the Giants, ending his holdout. And I wanted to get into the running back holdout situation uh, with Nick a little bit. So it's good timing here because. Uh, it's become a very interesting situation. So we'll talk to Nick Shook about that uh, at 7. Also a little bit about training camps around the league. Manuel Vath of Transfer Market and Forbes. We'll talk a little soccer. Some MLS, some Whitecaps, also some European footy uh, with the Kylian Mbappe situation continuing to be very, very interesting. And uh, Kurt Miloski of the Vancouver Warriors, newly of the Vancouver Warriors, the new head coach and GM. Big signing for the Warriors. Uh, for the Vancouver Warriors lacrosse team, Kurt Miloski coming over from Calgary. So we'll talk to him about why he made the jump, uh, what his plans for the Warriors are, free agency coming up in the National Lacrosse League. So Kurt Miloski at eight, rounding out the show. Before we get to any of that, let's do it. Let's uh, let's tell everyone what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. You heard it in the intro there. We'll start on the diamond. Jays beat the Dodgers 
6-3 in extra innings thanks to an extremely unlikely clutch hit from Dalton Varsho, <laughs> who has been probably the, I would say, the like the subject of the most ire from Jays fans this year of anyone on the team, right? Traded, comes over in a big trade, sees a, a, a I don't know, fan favorite, might be a little strong for Lourdes Gurriel, but a popular player uh, and a top prospect go the other way mm-hmm. and has done pretty much nothing. And, you know, it's like, well, he's so versatile and the defense is really good. And it's like, that's great. Can you get a hit every once in a while? <laughs> that would be nice. I love your versatility. Get a hit. He got a hit. He got a hit and helped big him get hit. a big hit. All win those over kids you coach in baseball, Jamie, I'm going to tell them all. Apparently, defense doesn't matter, kids. No, it all matters. About whether you can hit. It matters, but your glove has to be really, really good to justify the kind of offensive production that Varsho's had. And I'm not, not quite sure that the, uh, the ratio is working out. But good for him, man. He comes up and uh, the Jays beat the Dodgers, which is. Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good for the Jays. I mean, 6-3, you'll take it. Yeah, rare series for Toronto in, in LA in, at yeah. the, a Dodger Stadium. So I think a, a lot of those players get pretty excited about that. I remember, I think the last time they were there, um, a lot of those players were pretty fired up to play at Dodger Stadium. The um, other... So uh, that's cool. Yeah, good Good for Dalton Varsho. Yeah, so Varsho going 2 for 5 yesterday uh, raised its average to 215 with a 275 on-base percentage. So I mean, that's it. The, the OPS is in the 6. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's yeah, only a 358 slugging percentage, which is also uh, dismal, anemic, you might even say. So not, not an impressive offensive season. Defense matters, laddie, but not when you're hitting like that. Just want a little respect for the defense. Come on. You better be like Ozzie Smith or something if you're hitting like that. And Dalton Varsho. He's, you know he's basically Johnny Mack in the outfield. Okay? Do you know that Dalton Varsho can catch? Did you guys know that? Yeah. I did. Haven't seen it. <laughs> they say it on a lot of broadcasts. They were talking on the Sunday broadcast. Dan and Buck were, were going back and forth about He's the third catcher. I was like, oh, I've never heard Great. this one before. Awesome. Are they? Are you ever going to use it? Are you ever going to make him do it? No? Just talk about it? All right, cool. It's kind of theoretical at this point. I know this because on my fantasy team, he is He's still your eligibility. <laughs> but he probably won't next year. You no. probably thought you were yeah. so clever. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get this guy with catcher eligibility. And it's like, ah, he's unplayable. He's hitting 250. Never mind. He is terrible. Uh, the other surprising thing in the Jays game yesterday was Bo Bichette. Didn't start the game. Came in as a pinch hitter. Took a walk, an RBI walk. Uh, which is impressive for Bo because he hates walking, absolutely hates it with a fiery passion, at least based on his plate approach. I think he had like five walks in the previous 40 games. It's tough to do. Like yeah. you you have to be like almost planning not to take a walk to go go that that long with that few walks. It's interesting that he's kind of his generation's Ichiro in a way. Yeah. He he has a high on base because he, he always hits so for much. Yeah. yeah. And gets enough walks to get by. But it's not in that, you know, the 400 on base club. He's, no, he's, I think, he's never 360, going to 370, which is really good. But um, he has uh, he's never met a pitch. He doesn't want to doesn't want to swing at. Well, I mean, when you have that ability to just drive the ball yeah. to the wall in like right center. Like yeah, he does, exactly. Especially when you two can or take three times a game pitches that are off the plate and still drive them the other way. Still think you can, you know, get an extra base hit. I understand it a little frustrating to watch sometimes but uh, I do understand where he's coming from so there you go Jays beat the Dodgers 6-3 in extras thanks to Dalton Varsho now interestingly the Mariners it was kind of a similar situation with a, a player who was really really struggling Colton Wong comes in has been go ahead much worse than Dalton yes Varsha. even worse than Dalton Varsho if you can imagine uh, Colton Wong comes in hits a go-ahead pinch hit home run in the ninth but 
Mariners give it up. Their bullpen blows it, and they lose in the 10th, 4-3 against the Twins. That is a really, really tough one. When you think, like, oh, man, okay, this guy hasn't done anything. He's been brutal. Comes through with this really clutch moment. This is awesome. This is going to be a really good moment for him, for the team. And it means absolutely nothing because your bullpen coughs it up. And Anthony Munoz is a really good reliever, too, yeah. is the guy who coughs it up. Yeah, no, the Mariners' bullpen has been really good this year. And the 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 story of their season, in a lot of ways, is that their offense overall has been okay. When you just look at the raw numbers, they're right in the middle of the league in mm-hmm. terms of runs scored, and a lot of it is that they've had some quote unquote clutch hits. And last night's Colton Wong home yeah. run absolutely qualifies. It's just that in this case, it's not enough. They squander some other opportunities earlier in the game. Uh, there's there's just hasn't been that that consistency at the plate. So it's I mean, I was pulling up the numbers yesterday when we were talking Jays and Mariners. Like they are having very similar seasons in terms of the raw numbers. Mm-hmm. Really good pitching, rotation, like the Mariners have three or four guys in their rotation who have been outstanding. The Jays have a number of guys, yeah. you know, led by Kevin Gosman, who've been really good. Both bullpens have been quite strong. And then the offenses, and I think the Blue Jays, the reason people are more disappointed with the Blue Jays is that their offensive expectations are higher. Or a lot higher, yeah. But th- they're right there in terms of the the run scored. I guess the difference with the Blue Jays is that they've had these stretches where they can't drive anybody in, whereas the Mariners have done a better job. I don't personally believe that's a skill, mm. but the Mariners have had more luck, we'll call it, uh, with runners in scoring position, whereas the Jays have had some pretty big struggles in that area throughout the season, and that's where you end up with them having pretty similar records. Yeah, rationally, I know that hitting with runners in scoring position is not really a skill, and it tends to uh, you know revert to the mean eventually over 162 games, but there are times watching the Jays where I it really struggled to hold on to that belief. It's like, ah, just drive in a run or two when you got guys on. When, it, when There's been a couple times where they've had, like, bases loaded and no outs and nobody comes in, and that is really, uh, really tough to deal with. So Jays beat the Dodgers 6-3 in extras. Mariners lose to the Twins 4-3 in the 10th. Those are the big results in baseball uh, last night. Here's something that happened uh, just really as we all woke up this morning. I mentioned it in the intro. Saquon Barkley signing a one-year deal with the New York Giants ends the holdout. Uh, running back basically takes the franchise tag money, which was where a lot of people thought this was going, that eventually you know, the Giants had used the tag on him. Eventually he was going to end his holdout and just play the season on the tag. Takes basically that amount of money plus a little bit of incentives. I think maybe a million dollars of incentives on top of that. Uh, so ends his holdout. He'll get into training camp. He'll be a full participant. And, I mean, it's tough. There's been so much conversation recently, not just from fans and media covering the NFL, but from the running backs themselves, right? High-profile running backs. And Saquon Barkley was holding out. Josh Jacobs is holding out. There's been so much conversation about how broken compensation for running backs seems to be. And when you think about this, this is a – you know, one of the top players at his position takes a one-year deal basically worth the franchise tag value. Like, this is another blow to running backs. It's a blow to Josh Jacobs. Not a great deal for him if he's looking for a long-term deal. And it's not a good precedent for running backs in the future, right? I look at Jonathan Taylor in, in uh, right. Indianapolis, who's going to be the next guy up kind of facing this dilemma. This is not a good precedent for him either. And it just seems like another point of evidence that teams are going to be incredibly hesitant 
uh, to pay running backs to do anything more than short-term deals, even with really, really good running backs. That's the market for it. Yeah. And I yeah, some uh, Mark Ingram had some comments about how his kid's not going to play running back because of the lack of respect yeah. for the position. And I mean, it is, it's it just, I don't know if there's it's, ever been a position in sports where there's such a, a distance between the long-term value mm-hmm. and the sort of in-game value, if mm-hmm. you will. I mean, you look at the Seahawks last year and the difference that Ken Walker made for yeah. them game to game. And the games that he was really good, the team tended to win and have big performances, you know, when he was putting up 100-plus yards. Uh, and th- I know in the Seahawks online community, running the ball in the Pete Carroll way is like a constant debate. But it's yep. very clear that when a player is dominant, but he's valuable because he's on a rookie contract, yep. and it comes to the point of you've got to pay somebody. You look at the at the history of the position, at least the recent history of the position. Outside of maybe Adrian Peterson, you know, you know, imagine if you know, remember Chris Johnson yep. had two thousand yards and flamed out pretty soon after that even christian mccaffrey who's probably like the most successful of guys who signed long-term big money deals one i mean the team still traded him Mm -hmm. right the team wasn't good they had to trade him now he's he's he was effective with san francisco and he's going to be effective for san francisco but he's been injured a lot and he has a unique skill set among nfl running backs or an almost unique skill set uh in that he's so so effective in the passing game as well so if that's like your best case scenario it's like okay well you have to be way more than just a running back and it still didn't work out particularly well for the team that actually signed the contract the kenneth walker one's a great example because you're right he like nobody i don't think anybody disputes that having a good running back matters right like no I don't think anybody has an issue with that it's just it's such an x factor when you have a guy like he did where he could break out these 50 yard runs completely flip the game on its head it's just you're not getting that every play so it's grinding like that's what the frustration that Seahawks fans have that with that mindset is that it's a lot of grinding out three four yard carries sometimes it's not even that sometimes it's carries for loss and Sticking to that belief when the league has become such a passing league and you're just you're able to you don't even need like the thought is Ken Walker can break a game open with a 50 yard run. Mm -hmm. But you can also now break games open with 50 yard pass interference, let alone 50 yard catches. And the thing is, it's like, okay, they got excellent performance from Kenneth Walker and it made a big deal, a big difference for their team. But, you know, yeah, he was a rookie. He was a second round pick. Like, and you know, he wasn't a, it's not as if he was a, a, a sixth or seventh round pick. I think he was pick 41 in the draft. So relatively high early second round pick, but still they didn't have to go, you know, they didn't have to trade up to get a guy in the draft. They didn't have to go to free agency, right? They didn't have to use a first round pick. He was a second round pick and he came in and was a, a difference maker for them. And that kind of illustrates the problem. It's not that, you shouldn't be trying to find a good running back. It's that there are so many ways to get one, and it's relatively, compared to other positions, it is a lot easier to get an instant impact running back outside of the first round in the draft than almost than basically any other position, right? Until you get to, like, kicker and punter. Um, and so when that's the case, well, if you're the Giants, why would you commit to paying Saquon Barkley, big money over the long term, 
when you can probably go into the draft this year and get a replacement. Like you feel it's not a guarantee, but you feel pretty good about your ability to do that. And I think that's the interesting thing here is because the running backs have really framed it as we're being disrespected. People don't appreciate what we do in the game, you know, like, oh, it's not just running, it's it's pass protection as well. I think everyone understands that. It's just a it's, it's kind of a the raw facts of it are that you can get a guy who checks almost all of those boxes at an extremely discount price in the draft. So it's not that anyone thinks running backs aren't important or we're trying to they're trying to disrespect them. It's just I think it's just teams acting rationally at this point. So you put in our notes the comparison to goalies in yeah. hockey. I think the comparison that I've made before is uh, closers in baseball, mm. where the it, you don't want to overpay for a closer necessarily, right? The thought is, oh, you can find someone like the Jays, Jordan Romano, who yeah. they don't have to go out in free agency and sign a guy for a bunch of money. But when you don't have a closer, it really hurts. Yeah, you, you want to have one. You, you don't do. want to pay for one. Same with goalies. It, when you if you don't have the goaltending, it stinks. Mm-hmm. But the 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 difference between goalies and closers and running backs is to your point about finding them in the draft. The drop off between the best running back and the 32nd running back is much smaller than the yep. drop off between the best closer and the 30th closer and the best goalie and the 30th best goalie. And now with tandems and stuff, you're able to mitigate some of that with rest and uh, with some more strategic play. But the, like that's the thing. Even Jonathan Taylor, who a couple of years ago, last yep. year banged up, not quite as good, but a couple of years ago was incredible, mm-hmm. right? Like it was dominating games. And the thought is, well, there's no way that he's going to be this in four years. Mm-hmm. We'll just find the next Jonathan Taylor. And that's that's the problem that running backs are having. That golf is so big where the Seahawks go from Chris Carson, who has to retire for injury reasons, and they get in the draft, and they pick a running back pretty high, given the context of running back these days, that for at least the first season looked like a quote-unquote good pick, even if some of the analytics people would probably argue otherwise. Yeah, and uh, you know the comparison to closers is a really interesting one, right? I mean, Jays fans will remember the BJ BJ Ryan deal, and incredible for one year, and then it's oh, actually his mechanics are horrible, and his arm is not going to work, <laughs> and why on earth did we sign this closer to like the biggest closer deal of all time? And it, it does feel a little bit. I mean, you know, I grew up watching baseball in the the Hoffman and Rivera and Rob Nen era, where they're like superstar closers, and they were superstar closers for a long time. And it feels much more transient now, right? Like even a guy like uh, Felix Bautista in Baltimore, who's having a phenomenal season, like striking out like half of the guys he faces mm-hmm. or something. But do you have any confidence that he's going to be at that same level even next year, let alone three, four, five years down the road? It just seems like we're in this era in baseball now, very similar to running backs, where it's, okay, you, you get two, three good years of them throwing, you know, 100-plus and then you're probably looking for the next guy coming through your system because the the physical wear and tear is so much and there's so many guys who could potentially do the job that it doesn't make any sense to commit long term to those ones even elite ones like Felix Bautista. Yep, that's that's the deal and there's the quality in arms in bullpens now is so high. It's unreal. So like Jordan Hicks, everyone knows if you're a baseball fan anyway, the guy throws 100 plus has had nasty stuff, and the Cardinals have gone back and forth between him starting and relieving. Yeah. And this season um, certainly did not start the year as their closer, but then they've had some injuries at the back end of their bullpen, and now he's their closer and has had really good numbers. And it's 
he's been a very inconsistent pitcher, but he can go out there and throw 102, no problem. The, the Twins, uh, talking about the Mariners and the Twins, the Twins have a closer who throws 105 yeah, miles per hour. It's completely ridiculous. And it's like he, he's not making major money. Nope. And the idea is, well, is, is he, you know, outside of, of Roldis Chapman from this generation? You know, you've got Chapman, Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen. Now, Kenley Jansen's bouncing around. Craig oh, yeah. Kimbrell's bouncing around. Oh, yeah. Those guys, their peaks as, like, elite closers were much shorter than the guys I was talking about in the 90s and early 2000s, right? It was like three, four years, and then, as you say, bouncing around and kind of trying to find a home. Uh, this text comes in. Isaiah Pacheco, leading reading rusher for the Super Bowl champs. He was a seventh-round pick. And, yeah, again, you go, you look at teams that have won recently. They're not spending a lot on the running back position. Well, the Chiefs had Clyde. They, you know, they, Clyde they tried Solaire. to go that way, and it didn't work out, and they ended up going to the seventh-round pick. And even, you know, Leonard Fournette wins uh, with the with the Buccaneers – he was a very high draft pick, but yep. then he goes to a different team. He's playing for a bargain contract, right? So it's not that Leonard Fournette can't help you win. It's that Leonard Fournette in that situation is going to help you win a lot more than him as, you know, star top 10 I mean, pick. Remember Todd Gurley with the I Rams? sure do. And then they gave him a big contract, and he was out of the league yep. very quickly, and then they win the Super Bowl with a kind of rotating cast of running backs. Yeah, because the, there's two things here, right? There's the... Are running backs going to get paid? And then there's also the, like, how should you go about acquiring one? And should you draft one really high? And the drafting one really high. I mean, Saquon Barkley, I guess, has worked out. And they've avoided the... Now, I still wouldn't have taken him with the second overall pick. Well, I saw someone point out today on Twitter that... Would you rather have Saquon Bar Barkley as the two, number two pick or Nick Chubb mm. as the number 35 pick? Uh, Nick Chubb is the number he's 35 gonna, he's pick. he's making less money. Yeah. And then you get another elite talent at, uh, at number two, right? So... I, you get a pass rusher or you get a skill position or if you need yeah. a quarterback, you get a quarterback. But the thing with all of that, that run of guys who are taken really high in the draft, right? Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, you know, Saquon Barkley has been a little bit different. But there's this thing that happens where, okay, you draft this guy in the top five. So you got to justify it. So you feed him carries, you feed him opportunities, you feed him goal line opportunities. Their stats are amazing. And then it comes time for the second contract. And it's like, well, we got to pay Ezekiel Elliott. What are we going to do? We got it. Look, look how good he's been for us right and it's almost this self-fulfilling prophecy where you walk yourself right in to the brutal second contract and then it's like how much how how long did the cowboys spend forcing ezekiel elliott over tony pollard last year because because zeke was making more money and because like, well we and paid him, jerry so. jones yeah jerry jones gave out that contract he, he, jerry <laughs> jones does not like to be proven wrong even though he basically is always wrong. wrong every year <laughs> and, and yet he keeps coming back for more it is an interesting thing because there has like if you were going to compare one position in hockey, you mentioned, you know, goalies. It is goalies to running backs. Like there's often that comparison of, oh, you know, you don't know who's going to be good. Don't draft one high, mm -hmm. right? You don't necessarily need to spend big on one. And yet, you look at the way contracts for running backs are going in the NFL, it's completely different than where it's going for goalies in hockey. Like there might be – I don't know if we're going to see Sergei Bobrovsky-type deals again for goalies. You know, teams may be a little bit hesitant to pay Connor Hellebuck after a trade. But the middle class of goalies, they got paid this summer, right? They got paid last summer with Darcy Kemper and Jack Campbell. Like, even Cal Peterson was making almost $5 million. Mm -hmm. It's very odd that, on the one hand, we seem to have internalized these ideas about goalies. And yet, when it comes time to spend cap – 
GMs are still like, yeah, you know what? No, I'd rather spend the money. I'd rather spend the five million, the five and a half million, and get my guy, even if it doesn't work out. Well, it's pretty the, frequently. It's that closer problem. Yeah. Edmonton's the perfect example because they ultimately had Stuart Skinner, who had played a little bit, mm-hmm. had had some success in the AHL, but they weren't comfortable going out and saying Stuart Skinner. We'll, we'll find a veteran backup to pair with Stuart Skinner, and he'll be the guy because you're skittish, and if your yep. goaltending blows up in your face, there's there's nothing worse, and it's you know it's why goalies always talk about. And we've got Greg here; I'm sure he he could chime in. But the idea of like the lights are all on you, the pressure is yep. all on you. If you mess up, the the blame goes to you completely. Whereas if you know pick a random Canucks forward who might make defensive mistakes, JT Miller messes up. It's not always ah, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of spotlight on JT Miller not, when he messes up. But it's up. not the it's same different. of different. winning and yep. losing games. You're right. And so those teams and. You know, yeah, you bring Darcy Kemper, another example. of That was a team that's gone, okay, they, they, Washington for years was always, oh, they've got these goalies coming up in yep. the system. You know, one of them now plays for Toronto, and he just signed a deal that's not hugely expensive but is not super cheap. And th- they have, in the ranking closers or you know, relief pitchers, running backs, and goalies, mm-hmm. the NFL has been the most comfortable completely yep. going away from we don't need this luxury. We don't need this comfort. And hockey GMs, maybe because they are by nature the most conservative GMs, have gone. We we can't necessarily give this up, even if there's a lot that goes into favor of tandems or not yeah. overpaying. Well, position. and I think we, we got to take a break here, but I think the biggest difference between all those positions is that the nature of the NFL draft is you can instantly get a replacement, right? If you need a running back, you can draft one in April and they're helping you win games in September. And obviously relief pitchers, goalies, there's such a long development process. It's so uncertain. So I think that's a big reason why certainly in the NHL, you know, you, you don't always know where your next replacement is going to come from in the same way you do with running backs in the NFL. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we'll get to a little bit of hockey news. Uh, I don't want to say a high-profile signing, but there was a signing, which counts for something, on July 24th. So we'll talk about that. Uh, some Canucks, not rumors, not reports. I don't know what it is. Just speculation. Let's call it that. People texting in asking about a player. So we'll talk about that <laughs> as well. Uh, that's coming up next. Lots more on the way here. Halford and Brough, Sportsnet 650. Missing the Canucks? Subscribe to the Canucks Central Podcast and get alerts for breaking news episodes. Daily shows return in September. Is, uh, is Big Band Tuesday on hiatus or something? What's going on here? I'm not sure if you guys are into is it or this not. this new Big Band music? Is yeah. this what they play now? Technically, there's horns in it. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's probably a bunch of people who worked on this. This is where Big Band has gone. This, <laughs> yeah, is, this, this is new this age this Big Band. Neo Big Band here. This is us trying too. to cover up the fact that Laddie just forgot. This is Glenn Miller's great, great, great grandson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I like Big Band Tuesday. Disappointed here. Uh, it is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. 
Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today, also by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. Open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit johnstones.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Uh, I am just remembering that I forgot to do the uh, the What Happened sponsorship read. So What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. Uh, and I actually did want to get to one other thing that happened, which is that A-Dog went and saw Oppenheimer. I How did. was it? Did it did it live up to expectations? It was excellent. Uh, I definitely recommend seeing it in IMAX, even though our IMAX theater lost power for 10 minutes and we were sitting in the dark. <laughs> uh, but we got free movie tickets out of it. Nice. Uh, that's not the fault of the movie. The, nope. didn't, didn't, you know, the movie was still great, uh, even with the power outage. Uh, you know, it was awesome. It's definitely worth seeing in IMAX. The whole thing was shot in IMAX, so it takes perfect use of that screen. Now, it's by no means an action movie. It is largely just a lot of people talking in rooms. Like, that's just the kind of movie it is. It's a biopic. So go in expecting that kind of a thing. But it's a very dense script. It reminded me a lot of, like, the social network in terms of how mm. much focus is on the writings and writing and the characters as opposed to maybe what's going on around them. Um, it's very internalized. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a... It's it, it's it's a hard watch in the sense that it's very obviously it's the subject matter is heavy incredibly sure. heavy. Yeah. So it's not like you're having a fun time watching Oppenheimer, no. you know? Like it's a very heavy topic, right? So it kind of takes its toll on you throughout the film. If I was to nitpick, I'd say maybe it was 10 15 minutes too long. They maybe overutilized the music a little bit. Christopher Nolan loves to use music in his movies, of course, and some of his scores are amazing. Like some of the Hans Zimmer scores like Inception, Interstellar, Dark Knight are fantastic. Yep. The score in this movie is great. I'm not knocking the music. It's a really good score. I can't remember the name of the artist, but he did uh, The Mandalorian most famously. It's mm. not Hans Zimmer this time. I think he did Tenet as well. I, I so, think he did. Yeah, so the score is really good, but it's literally placed throughout the entire film. Like, There's next to no silence in the movie, so the music is always blaring. Okay. And I think Nolan does that to try and move the plot along because it is a bit heavy at times. So the music sort of acts as like this anchor and shoots you forward. And it's very good. But I would say if I was to nitpick, I'd say it felt a little bit at times like I was watching a really long movie trailer because the music was so pronounced. But honestly, man, those are like nitpicks. Yeah, like, yeah, overall, yeah. I'd say solid 9 out of 10. It is by far one of Nolan's best movies. And if this is your kind of thing, if you like the director, the actor, the cast... The cast list is phenomenal. Robert Downey Jr., he'll probably get the, an Oscar for this movie. Like, it really, he was that good. Um, if, if you like these kinds of films, then it, you absolutely will enjoy it. it. It's a fantastic movie. All right. I'm stoked. I was already stoked, but uh, yeah. very good. In-depth review good. from A-Dog there. Very good I, movie. I enjoyed that. Yeah, watch out, Adnan Ver. I was going to say, you've got yeah. another career as a movie critic. <laughs> I've watched a few movies. Uh, I, haven't <laughs> seen, I haven't seen Barbie yet, so I can't compare the two. All right, but that's the next. That's next on the list. Well, that's next on your. That's your on probably your very different. Very different movies. Very different I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. And he's an experienced actor, so you have to take his word. That's for true. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a very good movie. Uh, it, I I recommend it. All right. Well, there you go. Thank you to thank you to Adog for the Oppenheimer review. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention again, this is not massive news, but we we knew um, a reunion between this team and this player in the NHL was probably coming. It came in a bit of a different fashion, but Carolina officially signed Tony D'Angelo, uh, the defenseman, yesterday. One-year deal worth just over $1.6 million. And, of course, he was with Carolina. He goes to Philly. Doesn't work out in Philly. They try to trade him back. The NHL says, no, you can't do that because it's a retained salary thing. Uh, so they buy him out, and Carolina ends up getting 
a discount on him. And, you know, in a way, this does kind of tie into the conversation we were having about running backs and relievers and goalies a little bit, just in the sense that I think there was a time, certainly in Tony D'Angelo's career. Now, obviously, there's the off-ice stuff with D'Angelo, right? But Mm -hmm. you just look at it as a defenseman who has the offensive capabilities and can put up the numbers that he has in his career, even as recently as with Carolina, you don't expect them to be signing deals like this. Now, again, I understand it's not just this is not just a talent and fit thing with Tony D'Angelo, but I do think the fit plays into it because we also understand as good as he is offensively, there's nothing else going on there, right? This is not a guy who's going to kill penalties for you. This is not a guy you want out against the other team's best players. And that makes it a tough fit. And I think I I do wonder if we're going to start to see more teams go the Carolina route here, right? Where they let Dougie Hamilton walk because they don't want to pay him big money. Yep. They get Brent Burns on the cheap. They got Tony D'Angelo on the cheap twice now, right? They might be circling around Eric Carlson. I think there's an interesting conversation if this has any impact whatsoever on the Eric Carlson discussion. But they have the, – the guys, the defensemen they've committed to paying have been guys you don't, you don't think about for their, for their offense. Two-way but really good two-way players. Yep. Not offensive zeros. Not, not guys with stone hands, right? But just not offensive drivers, not power play specialists. And then they've said, you know what? We're actually going to go out and we're going to try to find that offensive boost from our blue line in other places yep. in a lot cheaper ways. And this is the latest example of that with Tony D'Angelo. Again, going back to Carolina. Yeah, it's it's money ball or money puck uh, because they identified uh, I'm Dougie Hamilton being the player that yep. doesn't come back and signs for big money in New Jersey. And he's a guy that's got a high-end offensive skill set. And there are still questions about the impact that he has yep. at five on five right so that's that's where they've made that distinction we want defensemen in our top four who are surefire mm-hmm. impact players at five on five and we will f- and, and can kill penalties and we will find a player that can especially now the way the power plays are run i mean we you you see the canucks or you watch i don't know the rangers or the avalanche with their their top defensemen and the impact that they can have on their power play. Mm-hmm. But it's not like it used to be, you know, in the days of Al McInnes, where no. you're just lo- no. you're loading up the slapper, even for the Canucks, well, like the Sammy Sallow days. The other big thing is that there's only half as many spots on the power plays for defensemen now, right? Like, yeah. you're not you're not running out two defensemen on a regular basis on your top unit power play. It just doesn't happen anymore. So if, if the power play is your calling card, you better be one of the best 32 guys in the league at it, or else you're not going to get many opportunities. If that's one of the ways you're driving a lot of your value, there's only so many spots available to you in the league. And I think, you know, like another great example of this player is Tyson Berry. Yeah. Like Tyson yeah. Berry's put up 57, 59 points, like consistently above 40 points in his career. And yet, Really, since he got to Toronto, he's been looked at as almost like damaged goods, right? As a guy that you're wary about playing, wary about giving too much of a role to because he doesn't do the really positive things on both ends of the ice. Yeah, you just you need to you need to have a five on five impact. And I, I think Carlson stands above and the the Hurricanes, I'm sure, are interested because they are looking at trying to get him at a 50 percent discount. Mm hmm. And the thing with Carlson is you looked at the numbers overall last year on a terrible Sharks team where he broke even in goals at five on five. 
but he was on the ice for so many goals on a terrible team yep. that your thought is, if we get this guy at a discount and we keep that good part of it, and then we have a better yep. team structure and, and better goaltending, that he he has the ability to rise above in a way that can be substantial at five on five. And we know that he can be a difference maker on the power play as well. But you do that because you you're getting him at a discount. Well, and it is interesting because I think with Carolina, it's not just them prioritizing what skill sets they're going to pay for and what ones they aren't. I think it's also, they have a belief and it's an earned belief that they can take somebody with defensive liabilities and insulate them because they have the best structure in the league, the most kind of reliable defensive game team game in the league. They can take a guy who's not known for his defense and they say, well, you know what? We're so good at it. That it's not going to be as much of a liability when we plug him in his line in this lineup. I think that's part of it with Tony D'Angelo. Now I do think it's interesting though. They have Brent Burns. Who's not known for his defensive game necessarily. Now they signed Tony D'Angelo. Let's say they did go out and add Eric Carlson. How many defensive liabilities on the blue line can you add before the theory about, well, don't worry, we'll insulate them, starts to fade away a little bit, right? Because all of a sudden, that's half your blue line that you don't feel great about. That's your entire right side that are not necessarily defensive stoppers. And, hey, maybe they have the confidence that, you know what, under Rod Brindamore and with the defensive uh, responsibility of our forwards, it won't matter. But I don't – like, that. that's a bit of a tough sell to me if you're having – if you're going – Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Tony D'Angelo down the right side. A lot of offensive upside, but again, only one guy is going to get power play one opportunities. And are the other guys doing enough at five on five and in all the other roles to really justify that kind of roster construction? The Hurricanes might be at the point where they feel like they have to experiment to yeah. that level because yeah. they've had these good regular seasons. They've had a couple of playoff runs and they just haven't been able to break through. And if they're if they're looking at it from an asset pure asset perspective of, hey, we can get Eric Carlson at a 50% discount. We'll figure out the rest. Just like, you know, they got Burns last year and they're signing D'Angelo on a, on a nothing deal. And ultimately, you know, if they have to bury that, there's not a ton left on their cap. So they're, they're, they're trying to collect assets, I think. And the Carlson one, from all accounts, is this is going to drag out. It's not like he's an expiring. No. It's not like he's a rental. There are a number of years left on that deal. The Sharks have put themselves in a position where they're being very patient. Uh, there were a number of reports during the season about how high they would go in retention, and it was not close to 50%, which is what I'm sure a team like Carolina is trying to push for. So that makes it a pretty interesting mix. And I, I, I would imagine that Carolina would feel pretty comfortable with their blue line group as is oh, yeah. heading into next season. And it's that, that tantalizing thought of, hey, if you can get Eric Carlson at half price, that's a pretty darn good defenseman. That's a guy that even on the, I think on the open market, right? You're looking at that contract being much bigger than what he would sign for. Well, not not too, too much bigger. I think, I think that a player like Eric Carlson, even at his age, would probably get eight, nine million pretty yeah. comfortably per year right now. Yeah. Not on 11, a shorter term. But yeah. he would, and then if you're getting that player at six, then you feel like that's, you know, two or three million mm -hmm. one, let alone the five million plus that, that's being retained by San Jose. Yeah. And I mean, as you said, I do wonder if Carolina, 
is just at a point where they got to try something new. They feel like they have to try something new. You know, they did it with Max Pacioretty. Obviously, it doesn't work out for injury reasons, but there obviously is an appetite there to just go get game breakers, whether it's a forward, whether it's on the blue line. That's something that they are prioritizing now because we've seen it. We've seen it over and over again. Uh, their game struggles to translate when you get deep into the playoffs. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text one. Text line, this uh, this message comes in. Did the Canes just completely blank on Eric Carlson and Burns' time together in San Jose? Again, look, obviously not a, a massive success with Burns and Carlson in San Jose, but I think Carolina is probably looking at it as, yeah, but we're a good team. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'll figure it out. We'll know how to make these guys work. I do think there's an issue of how are you divvying up the power play time? How are, Who are you giving the best opportunities to? But I also understand where Carolina is coming from and, and wanting to bet on the talent there. Uh, now, as we're discussing right shot defensemen, you know we love to talk about right shot defensemen and theoretical right shot defensemen that could come <laughs> to the Vancouver Canucks, even though they went and made the Filiprona trade. It's not as glaring of a need as it – we're so accustomed to it. Like, where are they going to find a right shot D? I think we're still doing it kind of habitually, even though it's not as nearly as uh, pressing a need as it used to be for this team. Matt Dumba, still a free agent, still a UFA out there. And, you know, we've had over the last couple of days, we've had a lot of people text in, hey, what do you think about the Canucks and Matt Dumba? And Dumba's a really interesting case. As we as we continue to kind of discuss what teams are valuing in defensemen, what kind of skill sets are getting paid, what do you want to commit to, how 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 careful you have to be when you're building a blue line, not just to pursue the most talented players, but to pursue guys that fit, that check boxes for you. And Dumba, obviously, high pedigree player, has a history of offensive production in the league, although it's dropped off uh, recently and especially last season. But with Matt Dumba, like, are you going to sign Matt Dumba and put him on your top pair with Quinn Hughes? Like, before we even get into the salary cap situations, right, and the, the what would have to happen and who would have to go out and what kind of deal would make sense – would you be excited? Would that feel like a really strong pairing? It wouldn't to me. Matt Dumba, I don't like to next to Quinn Hughes, you want somebody whose calling card is defense. And it doesn't have to be a minimum salary guy or close to it like Luke Shen was, but you want somebody who is really, really responsible defensively. Like Chris Tanev is the great is a great example. That's not Matt Dumba. How much value are you really getting out of Matt Dumba if you place him with Quinn Hughes? He's not going to be on your second pair, because that's where Philip Ronick is. So then you're left with Matt Dumba as a third-bearing guy. And it's kind of the Tyler Myers conundrum, right? Where, okay, you don't want him playing with Quinn Hughes. He's not really like a guy who's going to anchor your second pairing. Yep. And all of a sudden, you're left with this player who has an interesting skill set. And, you know, again, high pedigree, yeah, you'd like physical. To, you'd like to add that physicality, sure. All of that. But do you want to be playing him on your third pairing? And that's kind of how I see Matt Dumba. Now, look, if the price is right, the price is right. If it's a million dollars or whatever, then okay. <laughs> yeah. But I don't. I, that's you not figure it happen. out. You figure no. it out. But first of all, it would only be able to work if your move after Tyler Myers is gone, right? Because you've already got that kind of luxury right shot defenseman, and I mean luxury in the terms of cost, not inability. You've already got that defenseman on your books, and if Myers is still around, I don't think it works in salary wise. And even if Myers is gone, I mean, I guess you could sign Dumba to be your third pairing right shot defenseman, but. With the very limited salary cap flexibility that the Canucks are going to have available to them, I just don't think Dumba checks enough boxes and fills enough needs for what they need on this team still. Yeah, I mean, you'd look at the the number one question that you had is the right one. Can can this player 
play with yeah. Quinn Hughes. Is he a good fit next to Quinn is Hughes? Is this the best way to maximize Quinn Hughes? That's the question that you have to answer. And there are two ways to answer that question. One is be the player that Quinn Hughes will play with. Or, in th- this was part of the Heronic discussion when they traded for him last season, can he play with Quinn Hughes? Potentially. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, can he be a guy that you can rely on on a second pair so that Quinn Hughes doesn't get overtaxed yeah. and that they can take on some of the, the tougher matchups and things like that? Can they run their that own question pair? Can they be the anchor on the second the pair with Heronic? Yeah. Now, if they hadn't have made the Heronic trade and Dumba was out there on a cheap deal, maybe you think about it. But with Meyer still around for now, mm-hmm. with Heronic looking like he's going to be part of the future, it it's hard to find the lineup fit that makes sense. And I just think if you're signing a defenseman and even thinking about playing them with Quinn Hughes, even thinking that's going to be a part of their profile, you have to be really, really sure that it's going to work. Because one thing we have seen with Quinn Hughes is you don't have to spend big money to get a partner that can get really, really good performance with Quinn Hughes, right? We've seen it with Luke Shen, even Noah Juleson when he came up at the end of last season, right? It's like, okay, that's working. Yeah, where the pairing numbers are verging good. on elite. Yeah, very, very good. So if you're going to spend significant money on a guy to play with Quinn Hughes, you've got a high bar to clear to make that worth it. You know what I mean? Like the 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 alternative option is go bargain hunting and you still feel really good about getting good production out of Quinn Hughes. If you're going to pay a guy $4 million to be the ne- the guy next to him on the top pairing, you better you be absolutely positive really good that, that you're going to get that extra value going from a million to $4 million, right? And, you know, those are just numbers as examples, but I don't look at Matt Dumba as the type of guy that I would feel really good about uh, uh, about getting that extra production from next to Quinn Hughes. Look, I, I get it. There's been there's always been Matt Dumba to the Canucks. You know, obviously Matt Dumba for Brock, Brock Besser, Besser, right? That's been the classic yeah. one. I understand why people are texting in about it. Maybe if if Dumba's still on the market come September and Tyler Myers ends up somewhere else, do you bring him in? Sure, I could see that as a third pairing guy. But right now, as it stands, the place to me where I still think the Canucks. You know, if they have one more move left in them, it's another center. Their center depth is still really, really thin. Like, you're talking Teddy Bluger as the third line as center. As 3C. As 3C. Yeah. And then behind that, it's Niels Amon. It's Sheldon Dries. And, you, boy, you get an injury, and all of a sudden, you are very, very thin. So, if you – like, we'll see what happens with Tanner Pearson and LTIR and how much cap space they do actually have to work with. But if you're looking to make one more move, it's not on the blue line. At this point, you got to rely on your depth, I think, on the blue line. And, and they made their the bet. Young players. The, the, the heronic bet was yep. their bet. Yep. This is the guy that's going to lift our top four. You're not going to find that guy, I, I think, in free agency at this point. No. Whereas if you're trying to find a middle six a potential center. center that can yep. maybe have some versatility, we know that the Canucks have – I mean, this was the conversation last offseason. Look at all the options they have on the wings. Well, early in the season between injuries and underperforming players, those options on the wings disappeared pretty quickly. Um, now with, with centers and, you know, that's been the Bo Horvat questions, not hanging over this franchise anymore. Can you find someone that you know, I think I thought Sheldon drives was, you know, he was 
pretty solid for yeah. them last year. But can you find Sheldon Dries plus? Yeah, can you sign someone right who moves now. the needle more than that, yeah. right? For a relatively cheap price. Uh, this text says, I think you guys hit the nail on the head, answered your question at the same time. Matt Dumba is just a youngerish Tyler Myers. You could sign him, and then in two years, if not right away, be wondering where to put him. And I, I, I do think it's an interesting comparison. Obviously, Dumba doesn't have the height, but just guys who have a track record of producing but aren't necessarily shut down guys, aren't going to run your power play, are they going to be worth what they actually cost? And unless you have a really obvious place to put them in your lineup, which I don't think the Canucks do, I think it ends up becoming a very uh, a very risky move to pursue guys like that. And I think we're seeing that across the league. You know what? If you're not a true shutdown defenseman and you don't run your or and you can't run our first power play, you're getting squeezed a little bit as a defenseman uh, in the NHL. Right now, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line that you can get your What We Learned submissions in. We'll do that coming up at 8.30. Hashtag WWL, what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports, your chance to be on the radio. So text us uh, again, 650-650 is the number. Up next, we'll get back into the NFL discussion. Nick Shook of NFL.com, training camps getting going around the league. Saquon Barkley signs a one-year deal with the Giants. What does that mean for the future of the running back position? We'll talk to Nick about that. It is Halford & Bruff, Sportsnet 650.